This episode features author, entrepreneur, and adventurer, Jesse Itzler. Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, an adventure podcast presented by REI Co-op, the brand who helps get you outside through gear, classes, and adventures. We talk to experts who have taken a wild idea and made it a reality so you can too. From people who have climbed the tallest peaks, started thriving businesses, and even broken records, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. I'm your host, Shelby Stanger, and I hope you enjoy this show. Jesse Itzler only eats fruit until noon. He loves Run DMC, and he enjoys living life out of the box. He's the author of the New York Times bestseller, Living with a Seal, a story where he literally hired a Navy SEAL to live with him and train him for a month. Then he wrote this book called Living with Monks, where he lived with monks in upstate New York. Prior to being a bestselling and hilarious author, he co-founded Marquee Jet. It's the world's largest private jet card company, which he and his partner sold to Berkshire Hathaway slash NetJets. Jesse then partnered with Zico Coconut Water, which he and his partner later sold to the Coca-Cola Company. He got his start as a rapper on MTV, and he wrote and performed the NBA's Emmy Award-winning I Love This Game music campaign and the popular New York Knicks anthem, Go New York Go. Jesse's also a serious adventurer, which we get into a bit on this podcast. He's an ultramarathon runner, and in the last few years, he launched this event called 29,029, where participants literally go to a private mountain and they get 36 hours to hike 29,029 vertical feet, which is the equivalent of climbing Everest. So they climb up, take the gondola down, repeat with awesome like-minded people, good ambience, and good food. On top of all of this, Jesse's the owner of the Atlanta Hawks, the basketball team. He's also married to Spanx founder Sarah Blakely, who, by the way, is a new shark on Shark Tank, and he's a father to four kids. So I had Jesse on because it's rare I read a book cover to cover and then fight with my boyfriend about who gets to read his next book first. So when I do, I reach out to them and try to have them on the podcast. I also discovered from some good friends that Jesse has a course going right now called How to Build Your Life Resume. And that name really struck out to me. So as we get closer to the holiday and the new year and we're setting goals, I really wanted to ask Jesse about this concept because we could all build better life resumes. So we talk about all sorts of things from goal setting to cold calling your heroes and how to do it and how to have a better relationship and get real with time. I hope you enjoy this show. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, I pretty much told everyone how awesome you are in the intro and I'm pumped, but Rather than talking about your books and everything else, I wanted to start with what you're doing now, especially because the new year is around the corner and people are setting goals, changing jobs, gearing up, and you have this course, How to Build Your Life Resume. So I'm really curious, you know, why life resumes, not paper resumes? First of all, I appreciate you having me. Uh, yeah, no, listen, I, uh, I just, I don't believe in traditional, in resumes in the traditional sense. I really have always believed in building your life resume, your body of work, and trying to just accomplish as much in this lifetime as you can, squeezing everything out of life as possible. And that's always the th made me feel the most alive, made me feel better than you know sitting in an office or looking at, at, a, at a computer screen all day. Although I understand everyone has to make a living, and I'm not suggesting you don't. I'm just saying really kind of emphasizing living life for a living 
And that's just kind of just the things that uh, that's always been what's, what's attracted me. I, I read once that the average recruiter scans a resume for like six seconds before he or she decides if an applicant is qualified or not. And I was like, six seconds to decide, you know, if you get the job or don't get the job. And I just felt like, what if you could land the dream job? Or what if you could get the promotion? Or what if you could become just so much more interesting through your experiences? And I just, so I flipped that model upside down and I focused on building my life resume. And the premise around it is simple. The more you experience, the more you have to offer. The more you have to offer other people, the more you have to offer yourself. And, uh, and that's kind of how I live my life. I love that. When I was 21, I applied for the Associated Press and my resume wasn't big because I was in college or just about to graduate college. But I had surf instructor on my resume and all the woman wanted to talk about during the interview was surfing. <laughs> Interesting. It's so true. When I was 21, I decided I was going to run to be uh, mayor of D.C. And what? All, all you need, I went to school at American University and all you needed was I think it was like 5,000 signatures. I don't remember the exact amount of signatures you needed. So I'm like, I can get 5,000 signatures. And I'm like, even if I lose, that will be an amazing thing on my resume. So I decided to run for mayor. I didn't actually run for mayor. I got a bunch of signatures, but then I like wanted to go out more than I wanted to acquire signatures. And then I never had a resume. So the, the plan never came to fruition, but I did at one minute in time, that was like my focus. Like, I'm going to be the mayor of D.C. That's really interesting that you did that. I love that. At 21 <laughs> years old. That's good practice, though. You probably learned a lot about politics. And so you have this course going on right now. And I imagine that a lot of people listening are gearing up to set New Year's resolutions. So or goals. Do you, do you even believe in New Year's resolutions? Uh, what I don't like about New Year's resolutions is that is. I mean, I believe in them if you can accomplish them. I think only like 3% of Americans actually have goals and write them down. Only like less than 1% reviews them daily and changes them and modifies them. And I think only 8% of people that even have goals complete them. So I'm a believer in them if you have a system that is allows you to accomplish them. So I, I don't, I'm not a fan of just doing them to do them. But if you have a system, a bulletproof system to accomplish the goals, I think it's a great thing. I mean, you have to have goals. You got to dream, dream big. But New Year's resolutions usually fail. So like what, what advice do you usually give to people who are trying to set some sort of big goal or have a big adventure in mind or a big task they want to accomplish? Well, a couple of things. For starters, I believe in, in smaller goals, mini goals. I think they, accomplishing mini goals gives you a lot of momentum towards a much bigger goal. I think having many people when, that do set goals have so many that they lose focus. So having one or two goals that are so big that if those were the only two things that you accomplished in the course of a year, it would, be, it would still be a hell of a year. So mm. I think that's really important. And then, you know, very often, we live in a calendar year, 2019 to 2020, fiscal year. Everything is based on a year. And I, I like to shorten goals into quarters. So if, first of all, you can accomplish more. You can imagine if you accomplished a major goal every quarter, you could do four times, you'd have four times the results as if you just had one goal, one big goal a year. So I try to shorten the horizon. It makes it more manageable for me. 
and put those goals. For example, I'm working on a documentary. I haven't started it yet. But instead of saying like, you know, well, most documentaries take a year or two to shoot, to edit and to write and this and that, I'm like, let's do it in four months. And if we can focus our energy and create a great documentary in four months, it gives us another eight months, three quarters of the year to go and attack the next major goal. So that's sort of my approach. And it's like, how do you get your two-year plan done in a year? Okay. So I have so many questions. Wait, what can you share about the documentary, what it is? The documentary, the working title is called Serial Killers, Serial Like Breakfast Serial. Ah. And it's uh it's a work in progress. That title might change. But um it's just something I'm very passionate about is the deception in the advertising. Forget forgetting about the ingredients. That's a whole nother topic group, which we will touch upon in the documentary, but more about the deception and trying to bring awareness and hopefully change to some of the ridiculousness going on by these major food companies, specifically targeting kids. I've seen a lot on your Instagram. Fake, is it fake Friday? Fake Friday, yeah. Fake Friday, okay. So everybody check out Jesse Itzler's Instagram, Fake Friday. He just divulges a lot of untruths that marketing companies do, especially around kids' cereal. So you kind of talked about condensing goals, and you've had some really interesting, funny goals that you've condensed. So living with a Navy SEAL or ha- having one, hiring one to live with you, not just any Navy SEAL, but David Goggins, who's a pretty remarkable human being. So why at first did you hire him? Well, I mean, that wasn't a goal. That was just uh, when I meet someone that I find to be inspiring or interesting, I very often try to become friends with that person like uh, like a you know, five-year-old in class that passes a note, like, would you be my friend? Check the box, yes or no. Uh, in this particular case, like, it wasn't a goal. I met, I met Goggins at a, at a race. I was doing a 24-hour running race with as a part of a relay team with four or five other people, and he was doing it by himself. And he was, at that point, this is 2006, he wasn't really well-known. I mean, outside of the endurance community, um, I think, you know, he, I didn't know who Goggins was or any, I didn't even know anything about the sport, endurance racing in general. So I was just, saw this guy that was 200, 280 pounds or something like this running on tremendous will and drive. And I was so, I was just inspired by the determination that I saw from him. Uh, so I did a little research on who he was, uh, on his background and at that time, I don't think he'd, he'd even ran a 100-mile race. So most of the – there was no – other than he was a Navy SEAL, there was no real information on him. So um, I cold-called him. I cold-called him and flew out to meet him, became friendly with him, and, and asked him if he would come live with me because I saw something in him that I wanted. I've come across people in my life that have – where there are bits and pieces of things that I like about someone that I want to incorporate into my life. And those people have been become mentors to me. Some of them I've met, like Goggins, and invited them into my house or you know, became friendly with them. And Harvey Diamond, who's a guy who wrote Fit for Life, is another guy like, like that. And others have been mentors, uh, virtual mentors, that I follow on social media and I get little nuggets of wisdom that I, apply, I try to apply to my life. In this particular case, though, I mean, it wasn't planned. I was doing this race. I didn't set out 
for any other reason other than to participate in this crazy 24-hour running event. And from it, I ended up, you know, uh, at the end of the race, reaching out to, to David. I think you wrote somewhere in the book that the guy only had like a bottle of water and a box of crackers. Yeah, so he 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 weighed a lot during this race, and he had he really struggled because of his weight and because he had no nutrition. There was no plan. He had crackers and water, and he had exerted himself for I guess what a hundred basically a hundred miles. He had he had broken some bones in his feet. He had kidney issues. He was peeing blood. He was had all these issues. Yet he kept going, and. There was no award for this race. You finish it, you know, you get a little pat on the tushy and you go home. And I was like, man, what in the world is fueling this guy? That's what kind of inspired me because I was like, you know, if I could get a little bit more drive, if we all could get more drive, more passion, more persistence, more grit and incorporate it into our lives, we'd be better parents. If we could teach it to our employees, they'd be better employees. So how do you master that? And, you know, for me, that it's an ongoing search of mastery. I'm, I'm trying to master all the buckets in my life, not one, all of them. And that's part of the journey to constantly learn, build your life resume. It's about learning. It's like as kids, we, we're so thirsty for knowledge. We're thirsty to learn new things. We want to learn how to ride our bike. We want to learn how to, you know, water ski. We want to learn how to whatever it is, fill in the blank. But as adults, we get caught in routine. It's super hard to introduce newness into your life as an adult. So my journey is it's always it's never stopped and I'm still thirsty for all those things. And when I see someone that I feel like has a little bit of the secret sauce, I try to learn about it. And whether it's Goggins or whether it's Harvey Diamond or whether it's you and surfing and whoever I, I want. I try to. If I have an interest in that in that lane, uh, I recognize that my time on Earth is short. I'm. I just turned fifty. The average American lives to be seventy eight. So if I was average, and I knock on wood, I hope I'm not. I hope I go to. You know, I hope I'm only a third of the way of where I'm going. But if I was average, if I am average, if we are average, that would mean that I have twenty eight summers left, twenty eight years left, and like that's a super short window. So what do I want to do? Do I want to live it in routine or do I want to build my life resume and get out there and experience and try and fail and learn and get wet and get hot? And, you know, that's what I want to do. What buckets do you focus on? I really only have four buckets. I mean, I have a wellness bucket. I have a family and friends bucket. I have a business bucket. And then I have like charity causes kind of miscellaneous bucket and that those are my focuses. I mean, obviously I have friends, I have other stuff going on in my life, but pretty much everything fits in that bucket. And if it, in one of those buckets, and if it, if it doesn't, you know, I try to eliminate it. This year, this year going into 2019, um, my biggest thing is efficiency. That's where I struggle. And even though I'm, I've been able to accomplish a lot, I don't think I've been able to accomplish nearly as much as I'm capable of. And it's because I don't have, as your life changes, your system has to change. I'm working with the same system that I had before I had four kids and a wife and other stuff in my life. Like my system hasn't evolved that much and I've been able to get away with it on some level. 
But to operate at the level that I want to operate, I need efficiencies. And my focus is on building a system. You talked about New Year's resolutions. Um, Resolutions are important, but systems and winning habits and winning routines to me are, are the most important thing. And that's where my focus is, building those efficiencies. It kind of reminds me of this old book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to change how you get there. So when it comes to starting, like what do you tell, imagine you're coaching thousands of people, hundreds of people, I have no idea, but I know already, I know two people who are just in your course directly from around the world. So where, where do they start when it comes to just setting these goals and thinking about your life resumes? Where do you encourage them to start? I start with just an under with reestablishing everyone's relationship with time, because I think when we think of relationships, we think in terms of relationships with our friends, our family, our parents, our kids. But very rarely do we focus on a relationship with time, and that is such a critical aspect. Once you understand and truly understand, I mean, I just scratched the surface on the twenty-eight summers concept. But if I really broke it down and reverse engineered those 28 years and how the stuff you like to do, like surfing, maybe climbing mountains, adventure races, whatever our listeners like to do, there's not a tremendous amount of people climbing Mount Washington or summiting some of these mountains that I like to do in their 70s. Those win- the, Your years of active, relevant, maximum potential, they shrink as you get older, as a percentage of your remaining years. So I start with your relationship with time and understanding the urgency. And I think that's, for me, that's been a good starting place for most people. Like, because most people wait for the right time, wait till they have the right amount of experience. It's never the right time. You can always get more experience. So I'm encouraging people to start the journey and start the process without having all the answers figured out. And that's the basis of the starting point of the course. It's around time, urgency and your understanding and relationship of it taking control of it because it's the holidays and i remember reading this so profoundly in your book living with monks can you share the example of time when it comes through your relationship with your parents so like whether or not you enjoy hanging out with your family around the holidays i think this is an important one well again it goes back to understanding really understanding that relationship so as it relates to, well, I use I use parents as an example because as you get older, people tend to drift away from. Well, I mean, you live. Where do you live? You live in Shelby. You live in San Diego. I live in San Diego, and I'm really lucky. My parents don't live that far. Okay, and where do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, so I have sisters who live in L.A. and parents who live in L.A. slash Palm Springs. Okay. So, well, that's a good thing. I mean, very often, I, I bet if you ask some of the listeners here, you know, where do your parents live? Where do the people closest to you live? Very often, they don't live that close to you. I live in Atlanta. My parents live in Florida. My brother-in-law lives in San Diego. My in-laws live in on the West Coast as well, 3,000 miles away. The people that we care about the most, we don't see the most. At least, mo- at least that's the case many times. So this example strikes home. I think very clearly, like, and I'll say to people, like, you know, how old are your parents? And they'll say, oh, I don't know, my parents are 75. I said, okay, how often do you see them? I see them two times a year. Great. And, well, let's say they live to be 80. They're 75 now. 
what I like to explain is you don't have five years with them. You have 10 visits with them because you see them twice a year. You're going to see them five for five more years. That's 10 visits. When you start to look at things that way and in through that lens, you start to reestablish how you want to prioritize that. Like, okay, well, first of all, those 10 visits become super meaningful. Like they become way more important. Like maybe I should turn the football game off and actually have a conversation with my parents. And maybe I should not, you know, be on my phone checking emails and social media. I should shut it off and spend these two days that I have with my parents right now with them. Or maybe I should have more visits scheduled. So I like to kind of reverse engineer my time. I like to reverse engineer it. And, and that's something I do a lot. I do, you know, I project out a lot. I use that and I use cumulative thinking as well. Like, let me give you an example of what I mean. Like, I'll say, let's say someone's going to have an ice cream cone. And they say, oh, I have an ice cream cone every day. It's not a big deal. That's like my one vice. Well, like, you know, over 10 years and you have 30, 3,500 ice cream cones, it is a big deal. So I like to think in terms of time as, as it, um, what's the term? Compounds. Things compound over time. They build up. And that's, what, that's our starting point. Well, as soon as I read that, I booked a trip with my mom to Hawaii. No phones allowed because our time is short. My fiance's mom has Alzheimer's. We don't know if her parents are going to get sick. And I just so appreciate that advice. So when you do an adventure, you go all in. Like you don't, I mean, living with a seal, living with monks. For Halloween, I just saw that you wrapped, you dressed up as Scooby-Doo, the whole family, and you wrapped your, is it a Ford Econoline van? Yeah. Family van? Yeah. You wrapped it like the mystery machine? Yes. So talk to me about going all in. Because right now, you have the resources to kind of go all in but you haven't always had the resources to go all in and yet you always go all in. But I don't think it has anything to do with resources. I mean, when I was when I was starting out in business trying to get a record deal, I was all in. I had no resources. I slept on 18 different couches, friends' couches during that journey. I was still all in. I think you have two choices. You can be you can go 80% in or you can go all in. Who in the world wants to go through life at 80%? I mean, it just doesn't even make sense. You have one chance to live. Like, why would you not approach something with 100%? Like, I, I have only eaten fruit until noon. I eat fruit in the morning until 12 o'clock in the afternoon, pretty much every day. There's been a couple of days over the last 27 years where there's been exceptions. Every year, there's a couple handful of days where I want to have pancakes with my kids and this and that. But it's been unwavering. Why wouldn't it be? Like, why, if that's what I think gives me the most amount of energy, and I think that that is a staple to how I live my life, why wouldn't I be all in on that? Like, why would I be like, oh, I'm going to do it three days a week? To, no. If it works, I'm all in. It doesn't even make sense to me how you, you could even think about trying to live your life the 80% version of yourself. I, at this stage of my life, I don't understand that. At 19, 18, 20, I get that. All right. Yeah. But there's distractions. There's this. I don't have time to be distracted and be like, oh, I'm 80% in. I'd rather not do it. If I'm going to sign up for a race and I just dropped out of a race. I signed up for a race in September 
And because I couldn't go give it 100% of what I thought I needed to do to get the best results that I had in me, not against anyone else's scorecard, but my own look at myself in the mirror, was I 100% committed to this? The answer was no. So I said, I'd rather not do it. I'll go do it next year. That's smart. What race was it? Just out of curiosity. It's called the last man standing. It's a, a race that keeps going until only one person's left. What? That sounds amazing. Where is this race? They have them. This particular one was in on the East Coast, but they have them all. There's not a ton of them, by the way. Not a lot of people want to keep running until only one person's left running. Yeah, it's It sounds horrible and awesome at the same time. I know. And, you know, listen, there are times where I want to do it even though I'm not trained or I just want to get my foot wet. I want to experience it. And I'm not, but I'm saying in general, we're talking about being all in all the time. That is what it takes. It's, you know, there's 7 billion people in this world, 7 billion. I'm sure a lot of them are surf coaches. A lot of them are in the coaching space. A lot of them are doing things that you and I are trying to do. If you're not all in, someone else is. And I would bet on someone all in versus someone with amazing talent, 60% in all the time. We're going to take a quick break to hear from previous guest, Semi-Rad's Brendan Leonard, about some holiday tips, courtesy of REI. We all know how fun it can be trying to make the holidays perfect for everyone. And although your family probably loves the idea of you stressing out until you get sick or exhausted just as much as you do, maybe don't do that this year and get yourself a little something special, some sanity. Instead of getting up at 5 a.m. to be first in line for a holiday sale, try getting up at 5 a.m. to get first chair. Or instead of running yourself ragged trying to do everything, try going for a run and taking care of yourself. Maybe ditch last-minute shopping for your loved ones and go last-minute sledding or surfing with your loved ones instead. You know, outside. Wishing you simpler holidays from me and from REI. When you were young, someone gave you advice. You were trying to make music and license it, and someone offered you money for 10% of your future earnings. And then you right. went to someone wiser, and they gave you really good advice. Well, during my journey of being on 18 different couches, I was, I needed, I was writing theme songs for professional sports teams, and I had done two successfully, and now... I was realized that there was a lane and I had a real business opportunity, but I didn't have enough money to all of the work that I needed to do was on spec. So I had to go in the studio, record the songs, and then once they were recorded, travel to the professional sports teams, like let's say the San Diego Padres or or the you know the Chargers or whatever, and try to sell them this song that I had written. And if they didn't like it, I was out I was out the money. So I needed I needed money to go make these demos. And I went to this guy who said he would give me $10,000 to go record, you know, the stuff, the money that I needed to record a bunch of these songs. But in return, he wanted 10% of all my future earnings. And he, he was a big money guy and a money manager. And he felt like he could open up all these doors for me. And aside from the 10 grand, it was a compelling at that time in my life at 22 years old, it was super compelling. Like I needed the money. I had yeah. no chance of doing anything without it. Plus he had connections. So I was like 10%. And, you know, I was going to, I was like, sounds good. $10,000 is all the money in the world. But I, I went to get a second opinion. And I went to a guy that was 
uber successful, father of a girl that I knew loosely. And I went into the meeting and the first thing is this guy, when I walked into this guy's apartment was, I'd never seen wealth like this. I'd never seen an apartment, penthouse apartment in New York City with a swimming pool in it. It was like Annie, like Daddy Warbucks with all this artwork and people cooking and it was just remarkable. And I went in and had it, so I was intimidated. I was 22 years old. And the first thing that the guy said to me, he said, you know what, as we started to talk, he said, he interrupted me, he said, you know what, I would trade every single thing that I have for the one thing that you have. And I was like, me? <laughs> uh, I have $117 in my bank account. I'm sleeping on <laughs> your daughter's couch right now. Um, what's that? And he was like, youth. You have this whole playing field in front of you. You have the whole journey in front of you. And when you have an appreciation for that, for that journey, the good, the bad, these kind of decisions right in front of you, take the 10,000 or not. I don't have that anymore. I had that already. But he also asked you if you could make it happen. And you said, well, I can make it happen. And then he said, will you make it happen? Right. So as we started to talk about my dilemma, my $10,000 dilemma, he said to me, um, you know, will you, if, if, if you, you know, do you believe in this business and you're willing to bet the farm on it is what he said to me. And I said, I do. And he goes, well, will you, will you make it happen? Will, you know, will you take this opportunity? Are you going to make it happen? And I'm like, yeah, I can, I can make it happen. I can do this. And he's like, no, will you make this happen? And I'm like, yes. He's like, well, then go forget the 10 grand. That's such good advice. And it's really helped me in making good decisions. But I'm curious, you know, today you're in a completely different spot. So how do you decide what to say yes to and what to say no to? Because I imagine you get hit up for all sorts of things all day long. And then how do you say no more easily? Because that's something I really struggle with. And I'm sure listeners do too, you know, saying no. Well, I said yes to everything for 40 years of my life, pretty much. But now I have four kids and a family and I just, it's not fair to them. There's other reasons to say no. So I also want to help everybody. And that's sort of why I set up the, my course so I could do, reach a lot of people in the most efficient way. But if it doesn't in general, I have those buckets that I mentioned, my wellness bucket, my family bucket, my business bucket, et cetera. And unless it fits, some, some, something comes at me that, fits into one of those buckets, if it's not, if it doesn't fit, I, I would, it's almost an automatic no. And not no, like I don't want to help people. Of course I do. I do, I do a lot of that, but I'm just saying meeting wise and most, you know, and you know, human nature, human nature. I was thinking back to this, like when I started out in business and I, I called to try to get meetings and looking for mentors and this and that, I never, very rarely, I can't even really remember any time other than this one meeting that I had with this guy, literally, where it was one-sided, where I called up and I'm like, I want to sit with you because I want to pick your brain and get all this stuff and I, want, I only want an hour of your time. Anytime that I had a meeting, it was two ways. Here's why I think I can help you. Here's what I can do. Here's what I'm offering. I would lo- I'll do this for free. 
it was never like a one-way ask. And I feel like a lot of people now don't really know the best way to ask for things because human nature is the recipient. He or she is like, well, what's in it for me? That's just human nature. What's in it for me? So if you can't answer that question, there's a good chance you're going to get a no. If you can answer that question, there's a good chance you're going to get a yes. No, I think that's good. That's why I'm offering you surf lessons. And we're going to do it, I hope. <laughs> there you go. Well, that was compelling. See, it, it, I, I didn't say no. It was super compelling. So you have some bright lines and some great routines, like fruit until noon. Do you still keep three hours a day to yourself every day? Yes. Awesome. And what do you, what do, you do in those three hours or maybe just some of the things you do? It, well, first of all, I take it's cumulative. So I don't just clock, block off like one to four every day is for me. It's cumulative. So I have a list of things that, I, that are important to me in those three hours. But it's my time. I can do whatever I want to do in that time. And I have zero guilt when I'm doing it because I don't want to resent my wife or my kids or anybody for taking my boss for taking away things I like to do. I operate much better when I'm able to do the things that I love to do during the day. I'm better at work. I'm a better parent. I'm a better husband when I get my run in. Take my run away from me. Take my exercise away from me. Take my hikes away from me. Take my swims away from me. I'm resentful and angry. I'm just not the same. So it's important to me to be able to carve out that time so I can be better in those other areas. So that those three hours, again, they're cumulative. It could be a 30-minute run in the morning. It could be reading. It could be sitting in a sauna. It could be doing nothing. The point of it is it's whatever I want to do. If I can't prioritize 10% of the day for me, then really like what, come on, like wh- how unbalanced is that? And, you know, if I loved making music and, and that's all I wanted to do, and I wanted to sit around and write songs all day, that would be enough, and that would be fantastic. But I have a lot of different, there's a lot of things that I want to do, so those three hours are really important to me. You talk about how you're making a documentary right now, but I want to go back to your books because some people haven't read them yet, Living with Monks, Living with a Seal. Your books are really different than others that I've read. A lot of people listening have the wild idea to either do an adventure or write a book, and you basically combine the two of them together, and you did something really out of your comfort zone for a period of time, and then the book was hilarious. So I'm curious, you know, for people who want to write a book, that's their goal, any advice and a little bit of insight into your process, because I appreciated them. They're page turners. Well, I I didn't set out to write a book. I, uh, in fact, the SEAL book came out five years, more than five years after I met Goggins. I met Goggins in 07, 06, 05. I think I met him in 05. Wow. So my book came out in 2015. So I didn't set out to write that book. uh, And I had no experience in writing a book. So I think everybody's process is different, but... To me, the first step was to, my SEAL book started out as a blog. So I had a framework already. And once I had that framework, I had an outline. I outlined the chapters. I wrote the chapter names. And then I started working on the, on the actual book. And as I got stalled, 
during the process, which I think probably happens to a lot of people. You burn out or you get a little writer's block or whatever. I would try to write, you know, two or three pages a day. That was it. I was like, let me just get two or three pages out. I would write my stories down and figure out where could I plug in these stories. And then once I had an outline, it that was the beginning of the process. And then I, you know, I spent a tremendous amount of time. Like, I don't think there's been a project in my life that I've committed to more than the seal book as far as giving it my, I, that was the best book I was capable of writing. I really believe that. I, at the time, I mean, I reread it, reread it, changed it, tweaked it. It's not good enough. Changed it, tweaked it. It's not good enough. And when I say not good enough, I mean not good enough for where I wanted it to be. I felt like I had more, you talk about all in, had more in me. So even when the publisher was like handed in, I'm like, it's not ready. It's not ready. And I would read it again, cover to cover and mark it up. And then I would read it again, cover to cover. So the system is the same to anything, you know, it's taking it to the point where you can look yourself in the mirror. And I, I have plenty of times where I have not done this many more so than I have, where I can look at myself in the mirror and be like, I gave this my all though. That project is one of those things that I can say, truly honestly say that. And I have many that I can't, you know, it's good enough. It's 80%. And they don't have the success that the ones that you went all in usually do. What do you still carry from David Goggins and from living with monks today? I'm sure there's a lot, but maybe you could just give us two nuggets. You know, when you experience things like that or any kind of experience where you take note while it's happening and you appreciate it and you actually like recognize and retain certain things, uh, they're gonna, they never go away. So what, I, what happened to me in both living with the monks, living with Goggins, and multiple other experiences in my life is they impact my grit meter. They impact my courage meter. They impact my awareness meter. They just enhance things that we all have that need to be exercised. So I wouldn't say that there's one or two things. I mean, there are. I could mention one or two things specifically for both. But at 30,000 feet, it just gave me edge. It gave me an edge. It gave me an advantage in certain situations. You know, am I going to quit now when I go for a run? Probably not. Thank you, David. Am I going to be more patient with my kids? Yes. Thank you, monks. Am I going to be you know, set my goals bigger because of X, Y, Z. Yes. Thank you. So-and-so, but you have to experience, like you can't read about it. You can't watch it in a lecture. You can't Google it and watch it on YouTube. You got to do it again, building your life resume. It's about experiencing. It's, it goes back to the first minute of this podcast. The more you experience, the more you have to offer, but you have to experience. I think it was, I think who was it? Gandhi that said, Learn like you're going to live forever. Live like you're going to die tomorrow. Something it's, like that. It, it if that's not it, it sounds good. Uh, uh, it sounds if great. If that's not the exact quote, let's, let's make that a quote. So, so what's so funny is we ask all of our guests this one question. If you could throw any party, who's coming? What would you do? And you just turned 50 and it looks like you threw the party of a lifetime from your Instagram. And you said you're hiring 50 coaches to train you in 50 things that you want to learn. Yes. Talk to me about that. What are you learning? 
It's a birthday present to myself. I made a list of 50 things that I always wanted to learn how to do but never learned. And I brought it, I'm bringing in a coach to teach, you know, there are 50 different coaches to teach me those things. Everything from DJing to free diving to wake surfing to backgammon to chess to ballroom dancing. I have a mechanic coming. I don't know how to drive a stick shift. All those kind of things. So that's my gift to myself when I turn 50. Just so other people can hear, I mean, you you once invited every rapper to dinner that you wanted yes. to meet. Yes. How did you just pull that off? I asked them. Like, when was this? So you just literally cold called them. I went to a dinner party and they asked people to go around the table and say, name three people who are alive that you'd want to have dinner with. And at the end of the party, I was like, that's a really fun game to do at a dinner party, but I'm going to do that for real. So I invited the 10 most influential artists or 10 of the most influential artists in my life growing up as a kid in New York to my house for dinner. And um, I knew a, I knew a couple of them, but not all of them. And they all came. And, you know, again, what's in it for me? The, the, you know, the ask wasn't like, hey, I want to come and uh, would you come in and have dinner with me? It was like I'm, the ask was, we're going to put together this amazing group of people. You guys are probably haven't seen a lot of you each other in a, in a long time. We're going to go over some ideas on how we could all help each other in business. We're going to have fun. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be different. It'll be a once in a lifetime and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And they said, I'm in. I love that. What do you, what do you like doing with your family? You have a big family. Like, What's your favorite thing to do with your kids? Anything. Like my kids are all four kids under nine. So just watching them being kid, be kids is so rewarding for me. But I made a promise to myself that if they asked me to do anything, you know, within reason. <laughs> I was just going to say. <laughs> if I, 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 I wouldn't say no. So if my kids want to go swimming and it's cold, I'm going in. They want to have a baseball catch, I'm going to go. They want to go. I mean, of course, there's boundaries. Of course, I say no. I mean, you know, there's discipline and all that stuff. But my, I, I want, I don't want to, again, here we go. Relationship with time. I don't want to look back and be like, I missed their, I missed six through 10. I don't want to miss six through 10. I can never get it back. So I'm mega aware of, I say to my wife all the time, like, you know, just appreciate this in nine years, my son's going to be at, in college in 13. We only have 14 years of this before the kids are out of the house. That's nothing. Zero. Zero. So I don't want to squander that, you know, and I'm aware of it. So I like it all. What advice do you give them, if any? I mean, they're nine. They're under nine. So be doers, participate, try. So I just want to touch on one thing because we have a lot of female listeners and you're married to one of the most badass women in the world, Sarah Blakely. Any advice to men on dating really strong, badass women? (laughs) I mean... I think it's important to when, you know, to let when Sarah's star shines bright, I'm her biggest fan and supporter and cheerleader. And I've never had a problem with that. And I think for for a lot of people that could be challenging. That's I've just always been I think it's just to be as as supportive as you can. And um, you have to understand the animal. You have to understand the animal. I mean, Sarah's. Sarah's in a lane. She's a mom. She's a she's a business owner. She's a wife. She's a daughter. That's a lot of responsibility. So 
you, you know, my job is to support that. My job is to encourage. My job is to be a listener. And, you know, it comes, like, people don't understand, man. It comes, it's two-way responsibility. It's two-way responsibility. And uh, it's work. I appreciate that. I just interviewed Gabby Reese, who's married to Laird Hamilton, and they're another power couple. And, you know, she gave pretty similar advice. Respect, work, let the other one star shine. I like that. Okay, so, Jesse, I know we're, we're getting short on time, but you've done a lot of rad adventures. And this podcast is sponsored by REI. I know you've mentioned them in your books, but gear. I mean, you have to love some pieces of gear. Is there any gear that you really like that you recommend to other people to have? First of all, I love going into REI. It's like, that's my Willy Wonka. That's the factory. I love trying everything. I love tents. I love sleeping bags. I love gear. I love product around outdoors. So anything outdoor gear related, I'm a fan of. I really just recently got into winter adventures. So I hiked Mount Washington and slept on the mountain in a minus 40 sleeping bag. And I just got introduced to all this new gear. So I don't have a favorite a favorite thing that I would just say, oh, I love this piece of gear. You'd have to say, what's your favorite running sneaker? What's your favorite sleeping bag? What's your favorite tent? What's your favorite this? What's your favorite that? But I have... You know, I do have favorites. I have, I use a King paddleboard, which I like a lot. That's custom made. Um, yeah, they do, they're, they they're my neighbors. Job. They're based right out, right by you guys. Yeah, I like them a lot. I like their boards, but I like other paddle boards too. So I don't really, I couldn't, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that I, I have something that pops into my head. So Jesse, do you have any plans to go do something else pretty wild like this again? Like live with... Elon Musk or Richard Branson go to space. I don't know. I'd not go to space. I'm a land animal. But <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, the adventures never stop. I have a list. Let's, let me get past these 50 things I'm trying to learn and then let me, I can go and convince my wife, try to is, convince my wife I can go live with someone else. Is there anything out there that we wouldn't expect to be on the list? I like the learning stick shift because I can't drive stick at all. It was a nightmare when we went to New Zealand. Well, I, I'll, I'll leave you with this. I had 49, I picked 49 of the 50 things and I allowed my wife to pick the last one. And I'm like, what would the, be the one thing you think I should learn or, or would be interesting? And she chose an etiquette coach. I knew you were going to say that. That's amazing. And I bet you in Atlanta, there's a good one. Yeah. It's so funny. I would like to have an etiquette coach too. Jesse, it's been such a pleasure. I so appreciate it. Anything you can just challenge listeners to do next year? I just think I think every year you should have one thing on your calendar that is just massive. So my challenge would be like, you know, we talk about bucket lists, but change the B in the beginning, drop the B and add an F. What's the one thing on your effort list in 2019 that's so big, so scary, you didn't think you could do it, that requires preparation, training, maybe failure, and put something every year really big, one massive goal that defines the year on your calendar. And if you look back and be like, wow, in 2019, because I, I set this goal and I did it. And that would be, even if everything else didn't come to fruition, if that happened, it would still be a remarkable year. That's an amazing thing to work towards. So very few of us actually do that. We have a lot of mini goals. And like I said, we spread ourselves out thin, but 
that would be something I would encourage people to try in 2019. What's something you always wanted to do and make it happen? Jesse, you're a legend. Thank you so much. We'll link to your books and your website and your coaching class, How to Build a Life Resume, in the show notes. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on this show. You rock and your sound recorder, Jeff, did an awesome job. I totally appreciate it. If you want to find more about Jesse, go to jesseitzler.com. That's J-E-S-S-E-I-T-Z-L-E-R.com. You can sign up for his How to Build Your Life resume course, or you can even sign up to go Everesting, which is to hike 29,029 feet in 36 hours. It sounds really fun. I'm sort of interested, so I don't know. We should look into it. To my sister, Felicia Alexander, and her friend for linking Jesse and I up, I really appreciate it. And Jesse, if you haven't found a surf instructor, I'm pretty sure I could have you surfing in an hour. So let me know. Okay, so this year is coming to an end, and we're starting to build next year's shows. But before we talk about next year, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for listening to this show and for giving me feedback, telling me what you liked, what I can improve. I'm always looking to improve. So you can send feedback to me on the contact page at wildideasworthliving.com, or you can write a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this show. You can also find us on social media. We're mostly on Instagram and Facebook at Wild Ideas Worth Living. Thank you so much. I hope you're all having a beautiful day wherever you are. And don't forget, some of the best adventures often happen when you follow your wildest ideas. <music>